Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share a recent reflection or story from my own life as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am very excited to be chatting with Sherry Salata. Sherry is a professional storyteller and world-class producer. She is currently the founder and CEO of The Support System, a private membership group for awesome women dedicated to creating real-life transformation, and Salata & Co., her personal development company offering acclaimed courses and retreats around the world. Her memoir, The Beautiful No and Other Tales of Trial, Transcendence, and Transformation is an Amazon Editor's Choice Best Memoir and an Apple Must Listen audiobook. In her previous career, Sherry spent 20 years in the land of Oprah, finishing that glorious run as the final executive producer of The Oprah Winfrey Show, president of Harper Studios, and president of OWN, as captured in the cable hit series, season 25, Oprah Behind the Scenes. She spends her time today manifesting the life of her dreams, appreciating every minute of the joy she's creating and calling in what's next. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Sherry Salata. Hi, Sherry. Hi. What a lovely welcome that that is. It's it's so interesting, 20-somethings, to be where I'm at in life and to hear my journey back, to hear it back and to hear how full and rich it's been, for sure. Yeah, we hear that a lot. I like to make people listen to their bio because a lot of the times it's publicists sending it back and forth and they don't really sit and think about, wow, I've had a beautiful long career so far. And I think we don't do that enough. And that's part of this podcast, right? We're gonna dive into the meat of your 20s, get you reflecting on all the good things. So yeah, thanks for listening to it. So before we dive into your 20s, we do like to start every show with a bit of like a light question. So what is something new that you learned in this past week? It could be maybe like a conversation you had. It could be anything. You got something. I can tell. Well, I've got one. So I'm in this place and I'm working with, I have a number of programs that are going on right now. And I'm in having this conversation about rising to the level of your expansion. So One way or another, we're all working on expanding our consciousness. And then how do you raise your daily life to that expansion? And one of the things I know for sure it involves is just doing new things. Even as much as making a new recipe just just shifts the vibe. You got to keep doing new things. You need to keep calling new into your life. So this last week, I decided to go and take an hour-long lesson slash training in lap swimming because I'm like, you know, I think that would be a good thing. I think that would be a great thing to add to my life. But the reason why I would have been hesitant is I know how to swim, but I wasn't on swim team or anything. So like that lap swimming, it looks like you're just like, you got to have some game to keep going so you're not like doggy paddling the whole way. And so I went and I had a a real coach 
trained me for an hour and I perfected some things. And even just today, this morning, I got up early, went, swam my laps. I swam for an hour and I'm already getting better. So just goes to show you. That's my new thing. Good for you. Oh, that's a really good thing. I love that. So was the lap coach also showing you how to do that flip at the end? Like when you reach the, because I think that's the craziest part about lap swimming. No, no, no. That's advanced. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be doing the turn flip turns. So we're doing beginner level lap swimming, which is amazing. You've got something to work towards. We're going back and forth for an hour. Is this like a new workout routine or was it just to try something new? What was like the impetus? Well, the impetus is, first of all, I'm a person who I do better if I'm really going to focus on health and really expand that, that I continue to find things that I like. Secondly, the other impetus is because I'm more or less coaching other people, I have decided this year that I would be coached. That Because usually I've never done anything like that. So one of my coaches, I have three, that, so I'm an intensive personal development. One of my coaches said, you need to get out of your pandemic enchanted house. And I was like, gosh, that's true. I set myself up in such coziness and such enchantment. And she's like, I don't think you're getting out of your house enough. And I was like, okay, okay, I can hear that. So I was like, that'll get me out of the house. That checks the box in rising up to a level of health and wellness and really tenderly caring for myself. And it also checks the box of doing something new, bringing something new into my life. I love that. It checks lots of boxes. I love that the personal development coach, which is you, that's your whole thing. You have coaches for you. The coaches has coaches. Would you mind telling me a little bit about like your three coaches and what made you realize you wanted to find people to better your life? I think there's that saying like, the therapist doesn't need a therapist or like, you know, like the plumber doesn't need a plumber. Like we all need people though that are helping us be better. So I'd love to hear like what that process was like and what those three coaches do. Well, I'm really inspired by a younger friend of mine. So I have a friend that's 20 years younger than I am. And she's very dear to me. And I'm really inspired by, since she was 20, she knew she needed coaches and therapists and training and that she needed professionals. She needed a team to help her continue to up-level her life. Now, I would have, at 20, just poo-pooed that whole thing. I'm not interested in what anybody else has to say. And thus, my 20s were very rocky and hers not so much because she was working her stuff out. So I am, I look at her, she's 20 years behind me, but I look at her as my inspiration to be open to new things. So that said, all three of these coaches have like different functions. One is an actual real therapist and I've never been in therapy. So I was like, okay, let me make sure that I've done all the releasing, that I'm clear, that I can see my patterns. And wow, that has set... First of all, everybody should do it if you find the right person because you just cannot get out of childhood without some little T's, little T traumas, little T's at the very least. And those set up our relational patterns for the rest of our lives. So for me now, I'm 62. For me now to be able to unwind things that I kept patterning, 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 replicating patterns based on little traumas from my childhood, that 
it's just so interesting to me that finally I see the light. I see the light that taking charge of your life and putting your hands on the wheel of this life experience really involves you spending time on it, making it a priority. So that's one coach, which is real intentional family of origin therapy. One coach is more of a psychedelic journey coach. So I've been into plant medicine for about a year and a half, which has opened me up in all kinds of ways because I am super, super excited about changing the momentum of my own expansion. I'm really excited about upping the pace on that. I have no more time to waste, no more time to waste. And I really want what I think is probably the last third of my life here to just be on fire for nothing to hold me back, to be truly limitless. So that one's really interesting. And that that ends up being about me being able to very quickly and more easily face things about myself that I would rather just, you know, sweep under the rug. The Again, those repetitive patterns. So I'm coming at it in a couple different ways. And the third person is a renowned intuitive who I've known for many years, who really can coax some stuff out of me and have me look at points of view that I need to think about expanding. Or when I'm all wrapped up and I think I understand something about myself, she gets me to see things differently. And I say all that to say, then I go to my own trainings and my own programs and my own audiences and my own private community. And I'm like, here's what I found out. Here's what I discovered. And through the power of my own vulnerability and my willingness to to use myself, to get in and use my own life as the clay and say, oh, this was really cool. And oh, do you know that we're all out running rejection? Maybe we can stop that and be more expansive. It's just lighting up my work. So I know it's the right thing. I love that. And using yourself as the example is just so empowering because it can be very hard to do to open yourself up to all these coaches and then to all these people that are looking at you like you have the answer. And you're like, I'm still doing the work myself, but this is what I learned this week. And you guys are all going through it together, but you're using yourself, which is really hard to do. And something that I think a lot of people spend their whole lives running from being vulnerable and addressing some of these things you're talking about but you're just like confronting them head on from three different angles. And you're like, let's go for it. Very, very brave. Yeah. And I think I'm going to tell you that in my 20s, what I did was, which, which wasn't helpful. So I look at my own story as it's a rallying cry for women in the middle of life. And it's, it's a, some helpful red flags for women in their 20s or young people, you know, in their 20s, which is, I was so eager to get my business card figured out and to get my success rolling that I had no time to look at my patterns, to look at where I was stumbling, to look at the areas of my life that weren't necessarily going that well. It's like whatever, whatever, whatever. But when you expand your consciousness, when you start to tend to your life with intention and focus, everything else falls into place. You start releasing and healing that stuff. You start being willing to dive in to the areas of your life that where you carry shame, where you feel like a failure, where you feel like a fraud. 
and you get that cleaned up in your 20s, oh my gosh, there's no telling what you could do. Because sooner or later, to have that limitless life you say you want, you're going to have to go back and figure that out. So do you want to figure it out now and then just explode with possibilities? Or do you want to kind of limp along where you're doing pretty good, but not that great, pretty good, but this is not that great, really great here, but not that great here. Eventually, you're going to have to sit down and take a look. Yeah, that's such a good point. But on this, at the same token, it's never too late, but you should better to do it now than later. Never too late, but if not now, when? Yeah. What is that first step though for someone that let's say maybe they are 26 years old, they're grinding on their business success thing like you're talking about, and they're kind of ignoring other parts of their life just like you were. What is that first step? Maybe they don't have a bunch of savings to pay for a bunch of coaches. Maybe they don't have the credibility you now have. What is that thing that you say to that person? How do you look inward? How do you prioritize that part of your life? That's the harder thing to do, right? Well, here's this amazing time that we live in, that this was not available when I was in my 20s. When I was in my 20s, the only thing there was was the self-help aisle in a bookstore. And I spent plenty of time there trying to find answers. Now you have access at your fingertips to yoga, meditation, all kinds of workshops where you learn how to go within and recognize patterns and begin to heal those things. I would say this, but all that is, those are just the doing pieces. It's first deciding that and understanding that there is no ultimate success if you haven't learned how to hold your life tenderly in your hands with reverence and awe and wonder. If you haven't learned how to speak to yourself with compassion and understanding, if you haven't learned how to tell your story with words of empowerment and possibility rather than beating yourself up all the time on that automatic tape, and that if you can do that, plus sit down and quiet your mind for 10 to 20 minutes a day, you are way ahead of the game. You are beginning to drop into your true center to know your real self. And the trappings of life, those roles, your job, you're a daughter or son, you're maybe thinking about being a husband or wife or a mother or father at a younger age, you begin to realize that those are just roles. Those are not roles. They're not your essence. So what you're developing is a true spiritual practice where you understand that when you are in alignment and you are connected to the force and you understand that you live in a world that's created of energy and vibration and you begin to learn how to harness that energy in service to your deepest desires, oh, the life that is possible I can't even begin to describe. Yeah, it's so true. It's, I think everyone knows that. Everyone knows that that's there. Everyone knows that these are just roles and there's a deeper essence that they have to tap into. But I think it's a lot easier to just keep pushing forward through life as is. And it's a lot harder to often look within and recognize those patterns, like you said, to do those practices like yoga and meditation and to take that time to really figure out who you are, separate from the roles, separate from your identity. Well, I think y'all are changing that. I mean, when I was coming up in business, especially, it was a badge of honor not to have gone home. You know, I've been here. I've been up all night. I've been, I, I, that means I'm the most devoted. I care the most. And, and the superstars 
were the ones who would sacrifice everything, including their health and their well-being and their sanity. And I think that's changed. I think now in this new day, and as things continue to morph into what work and life will mean going forward, the superstars are going to be the people who attend weekend workshops, who practice yoga and meditation, who eat a plant-based diet, who are connected and make that connection their number one priority and would never sacrifice their wellness on the altar of looking like, you know, they've given their all at work. So I feel like there's a shift and y'all are leading the charge. The 20-somethings are leading the charge. And yes, you're going to stumble a little bit because you're anxious for that success. You're anxious for it. It's like, what if it doesn't happen? You're a little bit anxious, but all those practices that we're talking about, quieting in your mind, hands on your heart, a little meditation, help you through the anxiety of worrying about a future that you are the creator of. You're creating it. So you can create a lot more anxiety in your future, or you can just know that you do the things that make you feel full, fulfilled, complete, that fill your sense of esteem for yourself. You do the work, you get the coaching, or you go to the workshops, or you look at the videos that help you release the things that keep you stuck. You do that healing work. Yeah. Like I said. Spot on. There's no telling what you can accomplish. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's so funny. I'm hearing you talk about all this and it's reminding me, I feel like we need to have like a new church where we attack this stuff head on and you can go to do the workshops and you can go to meet people and you can go to eat really delicious plant-based foods and you can go do yoga and meditate. But it's almost like the new religion, I think, of my generation. This idea that that is what grounds us and that is who we are and that is our community is like-minded people who are on that same development journey. And I'm, as I'm hearing you talk about this, I'm like, you got to start a church. That's got to be next on this limitless list, you know? I know. Well, you're getting really excited. But see, here's what I say. I say you, like, and because you just said something really important. Again, don't wait until you're 60 to figure this out. Like-minded, like-hearted, like-spirited people become a match. Become a match. You do your work and all of a sudden you're only a match to those kind of people. And those are the kind of people you form your little pods with, your 20-something pods with, where you get together and do a communal plant-based meal and you do group meditation and you do mindfulness activities and you bring in somebody for a workshop, for sure. When you are doing that, you're firing on all cylinders. 100%. And you can find that community, like you said. Create it. Build it. Yeah, people can do that in their own little towns, wherever they're listening to this. You know, they can find those people, like you said. Well, thank you for sharing all that. It's as you're talking, I feel like I'm like listening to Oprah speaking too. It's like this same energy methodology that you guys have that inspires you to want to be better. I love it. So let's dive into your 20s. You know, you mentioned obviously back in your career in business. I want to kind of start there. I know you went to the University of Iowa and you majored in marketing. Can you tell me a little bit about like your early 20s? Like how was college? How was that marketing major? And what did you want to do when you got out of school? Well, I had started in pre-med. So the marketing major was, I had to call an audible midway through freshman year when that I was like, I'm not going to be able to take these classes. So I graduated with that marketing degree 
And I might have done liberal arts. I might have just taken a bunch of stuff I wanted to take because I was I was trying so hard to be marketable that I missed some of that academic experience that I would have really liked. However, my social life was off the hook. Some of my greatest friends today are my sorority sisters from the University of Iowa, Go Hawks. And some of my my best moments today are going back to campus and going to a football game and tailgating with everybody. But once I left Iowa City, my 20s were just god-awful. They were god-awful, and I don't advise them for anybody. I mean, the truth is, my 20s were filled with desperation and panic and failure and poor choice after poor choice. I had so many jobs. I didn't do my planning very well, so I ended up in a typing pool as my first job. And then I I got plucked out and promoted to a secretary, none of which I did. I wasn't a really good typist, nor a very good secretary, but I got plucked out. And and then I I thought maybe I'd go to law school because I'm like, I hate this work thing. This sucks. So I was going to go to law school, but my dad said I would have to go at night after work. So that was it for that. And so I had that desperation about what am I going to be? Then somebody offered me a job as an assistant manager at a high-end toy store. I'm like, all right, I'll try that. Well, retail is very hard. It's very hard. And, And so I had the three to 11 shift and it was very hard, very difficult. And then I went on to another company as a, as a store manager. I ended up going to, and I was living in Dallas at the time, the 7-Eleven company was the be-all, end-all. And I ended up in their training program. So I had to learn how to run a store for eight months, seven or eight months, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And then I was a supervisor where I had five or six stores at a time that I would drive around and, and help the managers. And just as I was about to be promoted to corporate, I realized, this is a terrible mistake. I don't really want to live in Dallas. And I really hate this job. I hate this corporate stuff. Because I was like imagining myself retiring someday. I'm like, oh, I'm just in the wrong thing completely. And how old are you at this point when you're doing all this 7-Eleven stuff? 27. Okay, I was in my 20s. I left at 27, moved back home, uh, lived with my parents. I had all these little 401ks, total failure. Everybody's worried about me. And I had lunch with a fiance of a friend from high school, and he was a fancy executive producer at an ad agency. And I was like, I like the sound of that. That sounds cool. And I just, I wanted something that was kind of cool. And producing that sounded good. That sounded like would have enough creativity. So I begged and begged. And finally, he hired me as his secretary. Again, I wasn't very good at it. But he would take me with him to all his producing sessions, to the music sessions and the shoots. And and I was like, wow, this is it. Producing is it for me. And so ultimately, I became an advertising agency producer which I loved, until I didn't. Until I was like, well, this is a lot of work for hairspray. I'm not sure I care about hairspray that much. And that was about that time during those years, the Oprah show was going on in Chicago. And I applied for the job. I thought maybe I could do something at the Oprah show. And they totally rejected me. And what was your relationship with the Oprah show? Did you like it? Did you listen to it? Oh, no, I worked. 
And I didn't know how to work a VCR. No, I worked. I didn't know anything. I could just see the clips. You know, in Chicago, they would play little clips on the news about what was going on in the show. What I knew was it was something. There was something exciting in TV happening in Chicago that was right across the river from where I was working. And I was like, hmm, that might be something. I could feel it. And when they rejected me, I thought, gosh, that's weird because I thought that was a thing. I could feel a click inside myself. Oh, well. So a while later, I was interviewing for a big job in advertising and for a big money and a big client and bibbidi-bobbidi, and I didn't get it. I thought I had it. We drank the champagne, and I didn't get it. And I was pretty down because now it felt again like my 20s. Like, now what? And I got a message saying, this is so-and-so from the Oprah Winfrey Show. We were cleaning out a closet and found your resume and your little reel of commercials. Will you come in and freelance for us? And I was 35 years old. When I started at the Oprah Show in a fairly low-level job, promo producer. So overnight, we would do the commercials for the show. Freelance! So thank God, thank God I didn't get that job. That's why it's The Beautiful No. It's, that's the, the title of my memoir, The Beautiful No. And it's the title story because had I gotten that big fancy job, I wouldn't have been available to freelance at the Oprah show. And, you know, and I, and I wouldn't have had the amazing once in a lifetime 20 year career that I eventually had. But I say this to you and anybody listening. I just did not give up. I didn't give up until I figured it out. I went about a lot of things the wrong way, charging down this wrong road and this wrong road. And it never occurred to me that just go in the direction of what you like. What feels good? What would you like to do? And don't settle. You know, I'd get in these jobs that didn't suit me and I'd stay there forever until I was so depressed I couldn't stand it. So I was 35 years old when I got that big break. and. You know, a lot of people might have given up 10 years before and just said, oh, well, I'll just do the corporate thing until I'm 65. But I would not give up until I could click into the track and find my thing, find the thing that suited me, find the thing that lit me up, find the thing that got me really excited. I love that. I think not enough people say that. You have to find the thing you like to also be really, really good at it. Like you can force yourself, I think, to do the nine to five. You're going to be miserable. You're not going to live your happiest life. And you're not going to be the best because there's someone else next to you who actually loves doing that thing. And it's being willing to not settle, like you said. How do you advise people to go about trying new things when let's say they're stuck in a job right now that they just don't love, but they don't know what that next thing is for them? Maybe they love to paint or they love to talk to people, but they don't, they don't know what does that look like for a career? Like, what should they do? What is your advice for someone like that? Well, listen, I'm always in partnership with the divine. There's a lot of help in non-physical that we don't tap into. And so that's part of playing around with the quantum field, which is, okay, there's a lot of things going well in my life. And in this job, there's a lot to appreciate. But I know it's not my be-all, end-all. So let me just toss out there, how do I want to feel? I want to feel passionate. I want to feel excited. I want to feel like I'm growing. I want to feel like I'm contributing. I want to feel a sense of significance. 
and then you watch what happens. I mean, that's how the synchronicities start to happen. And it's also being willing. Are you willing to set your compass at happiness? Or are you just going to do the old thing that everybody's done that's gone before you? Are you going to force yourself to meet cultural expectations or family expectations? Or are you going to be willing to set your compass to happiness? What does that mean? That means is if you're not happy, you got to make a change. You're going to enlist, you're going to enlist that divine help, that surrender, that quantum thing. And then you're going to, as you're talking to people, you're just going to stir the pot and stir the pot. And next thing you know, every time this happens, the phone rings. Hey, do you know anybody? Yes, me. But being willing to make changes as many times as you have to make and not, not stomping around unappreciative and angry because that's the mistake I made a lot. I'm like, I'm so depressed. To anybody who would listen, I hate this job. I hate what I'm doing. This is terrible. And just creating more of that for myself. Instead of saying, listen, I appreciate I have a paycheck. I appreciate that this job has been there for me, but I know this isn't what I want to do. So I'm just going to put my feelers out there and start seeing what might light me up. And you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what could come up. What opportunity might come up? Something you might never have considered. It's looking up and seeing what's out there and manifesting that life you want for yourself. I love this compass set to happiness. I think it really simplifies it, you know, because I think we can get so caught up in what other people, you know, what is the title? What is the salary? What is the public perception of something versus just my happiness? Yes. Well, listen, you want the money because why? Because you want to be happy. You want the title. Why? Because you think that'll make you happy. So set your compass to happiness. And let me not bury the lead here. You cannot get to the life of your dreams by complaining. Can't do it. Those energies are completely opposed. You cannot get to the life of your dreams by complaining. If you hear yourself where you're like negatively gossiping and complaining about your life at every turn, well, settle in because you're just going to get more of the same. You got to stop it. You got to stop that behavior in its tracks and have no tolerance for it whatsoever and keep your eyes focused on the brilliant, limitless future you're trying to become a match to. Wow. Yeah. I feel like we need to just get some of these like quotes on like cards and have everyone just hang them up in their house. I really hope you have some of those because these are really good. So back to what you were saying about being at the Oprah show, you get this gig at 35. It's relatively entry level. It's freelance, but you're at the Oprah show, which your gut told you there's something special there. Walk me through. I mean, I know that 20 year journey is just, it's so hard to even probably put into words, but what did that discovery of figuring out what you liked and that this was your path? How did that go? I know you'd done some producing stuff before, but from a career standpoint, did you right away know this was lighting you up? Did it take time? Was there a certain avenue that you liked more? I'd love to hear about the like figuring it out part at the Oprah show. Well, okay. So here's where a little bit of surrender and a little bit of trust work out because I knew before I walked in the door that that was it. Everything had been leading me up to that moment and the timing was perfect. And the truth is, had I only let go of my anxiety and just enjoyed those other years, but I wasted a lot of time in misery and anxiety and being worried I wasn't going to figure it out. So I walked through the door. I'm one of the oldest people there. 
because, you know, it's a lot of young people, right, you know, right out of school. One of the oldest people there. And I knew enough. I knew enough. I'd had enough, many jobs to know, wow, this is fantastic. Even though I was in the basement, even though I was in a fairly junior role, and I, I had gotten some really good advice from a previous boss, which was just focus on the job you have right now. It was a very competitive environment, as you can imagine. And just focus on what you have and do that really well. And if you do that, you'll get plucked out. And that's really what happened. So I produced promos for eight years, eight years. And a lot of people could have been like, when's it going to happen? What am I? Produced promos for eight years. And then I got plucked out and moved to produce the book club shows. And then I got plucked out and got another senior role and did that for a while. And then I got plucked out by Oprah, who said, I want you to become the executive producer of the show. And my path was, I wasn't a show producer. So that was like, whoa, that's quite a turn. I didn't ask for it. Didn't, I wasn't lobbying for it. I never thought it was even within the realm of possibility. So you can see that a lot of things that once you are on the track and you're in such appreciation for the opportunities that, and, and listen, if I were to tell you what was the greatest benefit of that, that job, and ultimately I was very well paid and I got a lot of great opportunities, but what was the great benefit? being paid to build a spiritual life. The greatest thought leaders of our time walked through those doors. And sure, I had fun with some of the sillier shows. Those were fun. And I enjoyed a favorite things as much as anybody, but the shows that I really cared about were Eckhart Tolle and Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson and when Louise Hay and when the big ones would come through and we'd really talk about the things that matter. I knew it was expanding me in such a huge way that it would change my life forever. So that was on that foundation, I continued to expand my vision for myself. And I say that that 20 years where by anybody's standards, like you made it to the top of the mountain, you're president of the company, you're the executive producer of the show. But I would say that was my warm-up act for now. That's the thing. That was my warm-up act for now. Because what I'm doing now is dreaming up and visualizing things and executing and bringing things into creation for my mission, for what I want to do. And my whole life was about intention and purpose for 20 years, but I've never been more in my intention and more on purpose than I am right now. And consequently, I've never been happier than I am right now. So I say, your life is going to have all these different sections and you're always, everything is another foundation for what's next and another foundation for what's next and another foundation for what's next. And I've come to see that creativity and innovation in whatever form, whether you're paid for it or not, that's what you want to keep alive in yourself. You want to be doing that till you draw your last breath. You never want to, I don't even use the R word, like retire. What does that even mean? You know, people retire and they go downhill and, and die early because they're not pulling the life force through them anymore. So there's going to be so many chapters and stages to your career, to your life, to your growth, 
And I, what I would say to my 20-year-old self is, you need to have more fun, girl, because it's all going to be real good. You need to have more fun. Yeah, I love that. And lessen the anxiety because it will all work out. It's really cool to hear too how you just stuck with it. I mean, this idea, I know you you glanced over it, but just eight years producing promos and just, I mean, eight years is a long time. And I think my generation wants to move on to the next job within a year. Where's the race? Where's the this? Where's the promotion? Where's the that? And you talk about it with such a sense of calmness and a sense of like, oh, of course, I just kept going. I kept going. But there's such a there's such a longevity to what you were doing. I mean, eight years, you know, in one thing, and then you maybe did four or five another. I know. Eight years is a long time. And listen, there, and there were moments when I was like, oh my God, I can't do another promo. But I knew that I was where I was supposed to be. Even if I wasn't at a certain point doing what I was supposed to do, I was where I was supposed to be. And that my own personal growth and my own spiritual expansion was the bigger thing. You know, I, at a certain point I could produce promos in my sleep. There was a bigger thing happening, a bigger thing. And it was a readying. It was getting me ready for the moment when crazily I'm plucked out and, you know, asked to run it. Cause I was like, what? That seems crazy. But you know, that's what I was saying that in, in some respects, there's a co-creation going on. And if you're willing to kind of surrender to that energy that I'm like, I want to be significant. I want to do amazing things in my work. And, you know, there's the universe lining it up for you, lining it up for you. Just be patient. Don't take score too soon. Line it up for you, lining it up for you. And if I knew then what I know now, I would have had more trust I would have gone out dancing more. I would have traveled more. I would have made it my mission to delight myself and enjoyed things more instead of thinking that, you know, I had to get to the salt mine. I have to figure this out. And that was partly my Midwestern sensibility and partly a lack of worthiness that I thought somehow achievement was the right medicine and which it is not. Or the, even the only medicine, and there's just so much more. Don't fall for that trap. I know. It's very difficult when you're young, though, because you have hindsight. Well, that's why I'm saying, read my book. All the red flags are in there, and avoid doing them. Because I was in my 50s when I was like, oh my gosh, I thought achievement and worthiness were related, but they're not. They have nothing to do with one another, which is why you hear that old story so often that you're slugging it out to get to the top of the mountain and you get there and you go, oh, this ain't it. And it's because worthiness is because you're here. You can do that worthiness work right now. You don't have to be anything. You don't have to be any big shot anywhere. The worthiness work you do right now by understanding that you are beloved and that you have such reverence for your life and you take such good care of yourself. That's worthiness. I love that. And it's so important to hear from someone like you who did, I think, achieve that thing, that mountaintop, right? Like we talked about. And then you're like, wait a sec, this wasn't it. This wasn't it. I should have been doing that, that loving and that making myself feel worthy from the very beginning. 
which I think is such a beautiful statement. Yes. You aren't all of a sudden, I'm so in love with myself and I'm so amazing and I, I'm the beloved and I have such reverence. Uh-uh. You're like, I thought this would be it. And it's not. Let me be the first to tell you. I, I won't be the only one to tell you. So many people have discovered that, which is why, you know, I think, gosh, I get a little wistful when I'm talking to 20-somethings and they were in college and they learned transcendental meditation and, and they're also yogi masters and they wouldn't, you know, start a day without their practices. And I think, wow, what I could have been, what I could have been, wow, that's the thing. That's the medicine. That's the jam. That's how you lay that path out so you can have everything I accomplished and more but on the easy road, the road of flow, the road of intuition, the road of ease, more of a joy ride and less of a stressful road trip in a bad car without air conditioning. I love it. But how lucky are you that now you get that? Some people never do. Some people live their whole life and they never have that reflection. What, so on that note, I'd love to hear, obviously you, you, know, you spent 20 years doing the, all the amazing work at the Oprah show. By the time you ended, you were, like you said, the head of the company and multiple companies. And now that was your warm up for what you're doing now, which I think is such a beautiful statement. And I think such a great way to look at it. You were readying for your life mission. You built this for someone else and for the world. Now you're building your thing. I'm so excited to hear what you're up to now. Obviously, all this work, this spiritual work that you've been doing is for the greater good. Would you mind just telling me a little bit about the communities you're building, the courses you're doing, and how you're using this all now? Well, I started meeting young entrepreneurs and I'd ask them, you know, how do you set your hours? When do you work? And and I was like, oh God, that all sounds real good. So I'm doing now what I talk about, which is I let my intention guide me. I let my intuition kind of lead me. I have a personal development company that's mine that I run. I do a 12-week course that's based on my memoir and, and my experience of revisioning the rest of my life. I do that twice a year. I do a mastermind 12-month program, and I just launched that one a couple months ago. I have a membership group private membership group for women called The Support System. And then I get to kind of put my producing hat on and bring in experts and to come in and do workshops and and really kind of find a way to, how do you stay on the path? Once you understand that you want to live a more empowered life that's limitless and you want to continue to grow, how do you stay on the path? You got to come together with like-minded people. And I take people to retreats around the world because I'm doing the traveling now that I didn't do in my 20s because I couldn't, couldn't take off. Got to work, got to work. So I go to Italy and I'm going to Africa next year on a big safari with a group. And it's really like, what do I want to do? What lights me up? What are the conversations I want to have? What do I want to offer? And you take it one day at a time, which I love so much. And like you said, you get to still have this producer hat on you know, you have a podcast and you get to host these interesting conversations and you get to craft the life that you want. And I think it's really, really cool that you were able to take all these learnings from your 20 years at Oprah and turn it into something that's very you now. And you're putting your own spin on it, which I think is really special. Thanks, Erica. 
It is. It is. It's really exciting. I told you, I've never been happier than I am right now. I love it. Well, we do have a a final question for you. I ask all my guests this question. I know you've shared, obviously, lots of really great insights for 20-somethings, and I appreciate you targeting so much of your advice to them because that is our audience. But if there's like one piece of advice that you could narrow it down to, you could be speaking maybe to your 20-something self. What is that one piece of advice that you say is essential all 20-somethings do or no? Everything's going to be okay. Don't stress. And last, I would say, make happiness your compass. You don't need another direction. Make happiness, cut out the middle stuff. Make happiness your compass. Lean in the direction of what feels good at every turn. The people that feel good, the work that feels good, the life that feels good, the house that feels good, the opportunities that feel good, the the travel that feels good, the adventures that feel good. Lean in the direction of what feels good. Let that be your compass. You don't have to send things out for a poll. Just know only you can answer that. What feels good? That's your life. I love that. It actually reminds me, there's an Oprah quote she says a lot, and I'm sure you know this, but when you don't know the answer, be still and the answer will come to you. Mm, Very true. And I think that's a similar idea. If you don't know, if you're sitting, you're listening to us talking right now and you're thinking, well, what makes me happy? I don't know what makes me happy. It's because you haven't sat and let the answer come to you. What does make me happy? What house do I want? Do I like this job? Do I like this person in my life? And I think that's actually, it's it's full circle because it's Oprah, but that is a quote that I use in my own life when I feel, even what do I want for dinner? Oh my God, that's so amazing. Yeah. I'm like, do I want Chipotle? Do I want salads? I let be still and then it comes. Be still for a second and then you can fit. Yeah. You can figure it out. It's, and it's a little thing. It's a lean. It's like, Oh, that's good. Hmm. That's good. Doesn't have to be a lightning bolt. I love that. That's another good one. We got to add that. Be still and the answer will come. And PS, don't worry. It can be a slight lean, no lightning bolt. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun to chat with you. Could you tell everyone where they can learn more about you? And I know you have a special offer. So one of the most important things that I have learned really is about the the words you use in your own story and how powerful language is as the building blocks of what you're going to summon into your life. So I have a, a free download. It's a workbook about when you change 10 words, you change your life. And that's at sherrysalata.com forward slash 1010 words. And that's a powerful powerful little exercise if you want to just change things up right now. And you can check me out at my website, sherrysalata.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for that and for making that available to everyone. She's doing it special for us. So we'll link that in the show notes as well. And yeah, I love this like small actionable step right now. Cause I think after listening to this, people are like jazz. They're like, I am ready to go. I'm going to make happiness my compass. Let's do this. And so I really appreciate it. Well, this was so fun. Thanks for coming on. It was so great to chat with you. Thanks for having me on. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.